Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. Ah, thanks to Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness. Hi, my name's Bill, and today my guests are members of Gamblers Anonymous, and they'll be sharing their recovery experience uh, about um, compulsive gambling and talking about how Gamblers Anonymous has helped them. Uh, I'd like to uh, welcome Alison and Ian to the studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Bill. Hi, Hi Bill. So what we, what we normally do in um, Radio Land on 3CR Living Free... Uh, is is talk about our, you know what it was like at the start, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, but I think today we'll we'll start talking about what life's like in Gamblers Anonymous, and talk a bit about how you how you came in, um, but what the what the fellowship does for you, because um, I think it's important for people to understand that twelve um, step programs are about personal recovery but they're also about helping other people to recover. And, um, and often the, the newcomer is the most important person in the room. Um, so I, I, I'll start with you, Alison. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into Gamblers Anonymous? Uh, yeah, um, I'm a pretty normal, I guess, uh, middle-aged lady. Um, and I came to GA after being arrested. Uh, for for stealing from work, uh, and I guess that was my rock bottom. Um, and at that point, I had to also tell my husband uh, that I had been gambling, and that I had been stealing from work, and had sub- subsequently lost my job. Um, so it was a pretty bad day. Um, I called Gamblers Anonymous. And I got a marvellous man on the phone um, who I met also at my first Gamblers Anonymous meeting. Um, it's hard to explain how you feel when you first go into Gamblers Anonymous. You, you feel like you're a really bad person, you've done really bad things and that you're different from everyone else, that no one else behaves this way. Certainly not normal behaviour. Um... But after my first meeting, I had a sense of hope that there are people like me who have done many bad things and have rebuilt their life and become a better person through the program. Um, And I know it sounds cliched, but it is. It's about hope. You know that these people have recovered and they have done bad things uh, that you have done also. Uh, Many worse, many not some not quite so bad but we're all compulsive gamblers and we've done things we shouldn't have been doing Um, and I guess they can really understand uh, the pain that you're in and what you need to do to recover Um, I guess they can also understand the motivation what yeah why you do it yes yeah. It's it's very hard to explain to a, a person who doesn't have a gambling addiction. It sounds bizarre. Um, people will tell you, just stop doing it. Just don't do it anymore. Don't go. Um, and that's easier said than done. Um, 
and I would abstain for long periods of time um, and then something would happen. I'd have a bad day at work and the first thing I would do would be go to a venue and spend as much money as I had um, thinking it would make me forget my problems and forget my stresses and all would be good and maybe I'd have a win and that would make me feel good um, but that's not usually what happened. Mm. Um, and also people don't tend to understand that gambling, it's not about the money, it's about the feeling. It's about the euphoria and trying to hold that. Yeah. So what's that like? It's a really strange sensation and it is an adrenaline rush. Um, I remember my first big win, I thought, this is fantastic, I can go to the shops and I can buy all of these marvellous things and I just felt really, really energised by it. Um, I was, uh, my poison, if you like, was the was poker machines and, of course, they make all sorts of wonderful noises and, um, you know, you feel like you've really, really achieved something. Um, and it's a bit sad and I think if anyone's played the pokies for any length of time, um, time seems to disappear mm. um, and you find yourself sitting there for quite a long time and much longer than you ex- that you had planned um, and money just has no value anymore because it isn't about the money. Um, it's about forgetting your problems and getting a good feeling if you have a win. Yeah, okay, thanks. Um, so, Ian, you're quite different. You're, you're not a pokies person at all, but how long have you been in Gamblers Anonymous and what brought you here? Uh, Bill, thank you. Um, I've been in Gamblers Anonymous 22 years. Um, I came to my first meeting in 1996 and uh, I'd run out of chances in my life. Um, In the yellow book it says prison, insanity or death and I was staring the three of them in the face Um, and I still didn't really want to walk through the doors. I... If somebody had been there that owed me money, I would have um, taken the money and gone to the races or to whatever. But once I got in the doors I st- I, and got some time up, things changed. And, and the thing that really comes across to me is the support of the fellowship. I was pretty much a derelict when I first um, came into GA in 1996. Um, but I had so much support and so much support from the fellowship and I was like a, well, you know, I was like a little boy. I just ran around. They told me to do, they told me to do something. I did it and they said, they said to me, do, do more meetings. So I did more meetings. And um, I still today, and this is very important to say, is that I still today do a, a meeting every week and I do a recovery program every fortnight, and that is the keystone to it for me. It's the most important thing for me is that I am a compulsive gambler, and I will always be a compulsive gambler, but I am in recovery, and um, I'm I'm forever grateful to the fellowship and to the program for the um, strength that it's given me, and it's changed my life, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, can you talk a little bit about the difference between abstinence and recovery? <laughs> uh, when I first came into the program, I was um, astounded 
absolutely astounded that I could get 30 days up without gambling. I'd been gambling for 30 years, 32 years, and um, to get 30 days up was unbelievable, and uh, they gave me a badge. (laughs) And then I got 60 days up, and they gave me another badge. But nothing had changed in my character. Mm. I was still a pretty ordinary person, uh, a very ordinary person, and... I realised, and this is something that um, that changed my life, I went to a national conference of Gamblers Anonymous in Melbourne in 1997 and I did a three-day conference and when I came out of that conference I had a breakdown because I realised that I had to start doing the recovery program. I didn't understand the recovery program. I, I was scared of the recovery program. I I was satisfied with abstinence, but nothing was changing in my life, and I was just waiting to gamble again. I was waiting to gamble again because I hadn't changed anything about my life, and I could only change it with the fellowship. The fellowship was the only thing that could mm. help me to change it, and I was terrified when I first went to my first step meeting in South Melbourne. I was terrified, but the person that was the chairperson said to me, don't worry if you don't understand it, just keep coming back. Yeah. If you don't get it, it'll get you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it works. Um, so, Alison, how long have you been in Gamblers Anonymous now? Uh, I've only been in uh, Gamblers Anonymous 16 months. Um, and I can relate to what uh, Ian is saying, is that you do have to change yourself. I think um, the person that you become through gambling is not your true self. Um, I would never have picked myself to be a liar, a cheater and a thief. Um, But that's what I became. And only through Gamblers Anonymous and the support that you get there can you face up to that and move forward from that. Um, I went through a period of about two years where I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror anymore. It wasn't the person that I felt I was um, but I knew I had to make some serious changes um, to, to myself personally and I work on that every day every day I choose something from the 12 steps and I think about that and I write things down to myself um, and I guess commit to making these changes within myself um, Unfortunately, with the 12-step program, I do find it a little bit daunting, um, but I work on step four and, and 12 quite a lot. Uh, by giving back, um, I feel that... I mean, giving back to the program and to people in the program, uh, it's building my sense of self-worth back again because um, I think the person you harm the most, I mean, apart from the people that you love that you have lied to... Um, is yourself, the damage you do to yourself and to your self-esteem um, is yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's immeasurable, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's the thing. You're, you're, you wouldn't do to others what you do to yourself in that situation. No. And I think that's the tragedy of, of you know, being obsessed with gambling or alcohol, alcohol or drugs or whatever. Um, yeah. So, Anne, you, you started off... Um, with 
a family that had problems. Your dad was a drinker. So how how did that influence your early life and your your view towards gambling and things like that, do you think? Uh, gambling, for me, the, um, there wasn't gambling in the family. We were just a, a big family, uh, dairy farmers up in Gippsland, and we struggled to just struggled to survive basically but when i was 16 years of age i had to leave home because there wasn't um anything for me on the farm and my uh, my biggest role model in my life was my grandfather and my grandfather was a compulsive gambler and he'd lost three farms because of his gambling wow and um and I worshipped him. I worshipped him. And when he um, when he gambled, I gambled. And uh, I lived with him for a period of um, from the age of uh, sixteen to the age of eighteen, well, not nearly nineteen, I think. And there wasn't a time when I didn't gamble during that time. I was always gambling, working and gambling, and involved. And I also I was involved in sport, and I gambled on sport too. So okay. there was lots of different... It wasn't just the uh, TAB gambling, it was all sorts of gambling. And um, and I was influenced by my grandfather, but I don't blame my grandfather. I, I, I take full responsibility. I did blame other people when I first came into the program. I blamed everybody. Yeah, and, <laughs> that's pretty normal. <laughs> and including me dog. <laughs> but uh, I... Don't do that now, and because I take full responsibility for the fact that I am a compulsive gambler, and um, and um, I'm in the program, and I'm pr- I'm so grateful to be in the program. Mm. So, as a as an 18 year old, did you ever think you'd end up where you ended up with your gambling? No, no, no. I I I was going to be a <coughs> excuse me. I was going to be a professional. Punter. Right, okay. Yeah, I was Australia's best punter. Yeah. And um, if I wasn't Australia's best punter, I would definitely be Victoria's best punter. Yeah, right. I had my ambition was to be a professional gambler, or, you know, I thought I was good at it. I thought I was good at it. Yeah. My ego told me I was good at it. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Um, well, listen, we might take an early break. We're, we're doing a subscriber drive today, so we've got a few announcements. Um, I might just play one and then we'll have a song. So here's, here's our first one up. One, two, three, four, five. Break down, baby. Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio, bringing you coverage of community issues and events. This is Beard Base Camp. Welcome to the Little Red Tulangi Treehouse. As you said, I'm down at the East West Tunnel ticket, as it usually does, starts at 5.30am. Uh, the Lincoln Melbourne Authority have come here in the middle of the night and set up another drill rig here on Gold Street. The police were pretty keen to defend that with all their resources this morning. And I think for Australians, in order to know ourselves, really fully know ourselves, in order to mature, we need to understand Aboriginal culture. We need to embrace it and realise that in coming here, you're now part of the longest continuing culture in the world. We need your support. Subscribe today. Call 94198377 now. You're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. 
We have 69 episodes of the show available as podcasts. You can check them out on 3cr.org.au forward slash living free and also on popular podcast mediums. We know they're pretty popular as they've been downloaded over 23,000 times, which is pretty good. So there's a lot of people out there listening. Thank you. Um, if you want to contact us, you can do it via the station on 0394198377 or email us at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at 3crlivingfree. Uh, as I mentioned before, the 3CR subscriber drive is on this week. So if you enjoy the show and you'd like to keep our message of hope on the airwaves, you can support 3CR by becoming a subscriber. You can call the station on... 94198377 or you can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe uh, the prices are $35 unwaged $75 waged and 150 solidarity uh, 3CR has about 116 shows each week uh, we broadcast in 14 languages uh, so there's lots of diversity out there my name's Bill and I'm talking with Alison and Ian, and we're talking about recovery from a gambling addiction. Um, so I, I guess um, looking at family and where we came from uh, is sort of, it, it's interesting as well as being important because it colours the way we view the world. What was your life like, Alison, at the start? You know, was it an easy life? Probably the best way to describe my family, I guess, was uh, chaotic. Um I came here as an immigrant with my parents from uh, Northern Ireland and um, my mother developed quite a serious mental health uh, issue which was not spoken about in the 70s and 80s. Um, I learned from a young age to be quite secretive about my life. Um, my father developed uh, a drinking problem over the years, although he was a high-functioning Alcoholic. He worked very hard. He worked shift work. Um, worked very hard to put food on the table, and I'm certain that they did the best that they could. But um, my mother spent quite a lot of time uh, in Larundel and other mental institutions, so it was very difficult to talk about that, uh, particularly with school friends and things like that. It was not something that was openly discussed, nor understood. Um, so I learned from quite a young age to become quite secretive and I think gambling fitted in with my own psychology. Um, it's something I could keep hidden quite easily. Uh, I guess unlike alcoholism and drug abuse, there's usually outward signs of that addiction that people will pick, pick up on. Where gambling was quite easy um, to keep hidden from those close to me, I was suspicious of people who invaded my privacy. Um, and while I had uh, plenty of friends and a couple of close friends, I really never discussed with them really personal things in my life. And I guess that was isolating uh, for me, and I think gambling is a very isolating uh, pursuit. Um, you go into a venue and you can just switch off and you don't have to interact with other people. Um and you can go home and pretend that, you know, that that couple of hours didn't exist. Um, you know, there's no alcohol smell on your breath and you're not stumbling around or any of those sorts of things. Um, but my family were, were gamblers. Um, 
My mother used to love to go to bingo every Thursday night with all the girls. We had uh, card nights and we learnt how to play poker as young teenagers and although we didn't bet with money, as I got older, we and me and my brothers, we had young children, we'd have poker nights at our place and gambling was just very normalised. I guess it was just a part of part of our normal life um, and it was fun and it was social and then all of a sudden it wasn't. Um, so yeah, I was one of those that was a slow, subtle deterioration into problem gambling. Um, so a, as a child, did you, did you see yourself as a good kid? Absolutely, and I, I took on a lot of responsive responsibility in the family. Certainly, as we got to older teenagers, uh, we were we'd look after the younger boys and um, you know cook meals and clean the house and take on responsibilities. My dad was working shift work, so often I'd get home from school and have to you know cook meals for for the younger younger boys. And um, you know I was the goody goody, um, always trying to do the right thing. Um, and like I said, I don't, I don't quite know how that changed in my mid forties and fifties. Um, it's like I went the complete opposite, um, and relived my twenties all over again. I had three children by the time I was twenty-five, so I didn't, yeah. I didn't have a lot of didn't have a lot of outlets. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know. And as a middle-aged woman, there's not many places to go in a social context. Uh, Pokey's a very easy place where you just fit in um, and yeah had, had you been exposed to the pokies bef- before they became a problem you know earlier much earlier in life yes um, actually my older brother moved up uh, towards uh, uh, actually in Muldura for a number of years and I remember in my mid-twenties and late-twenties we'd all go up there and we'd all go across the the border across the border yeah <laughs> yeah it was all a bit of fun and my mum my mum and dad even when we were younger used to do on you know the bus trips up to the pokies and again it was very much a social uh, fun thing fun thing to do um and it was like that for a little while um and then all of a sudden it's not fun anymore no no exactly um so and for you then um Gambling. When when did it start to have a negative influence on your life? Uh, in, in my twenties, in my twenties, it, it deteriorated. Um, <clears throat> I was gambling all the time, but um, it started to really deteriorate in the my twenties and thirties, and then it was out of control completely from uh, thirty five to forty eight. Um, there wasn't a moment when I was a moment when I wasn't gambling or thinking about gambling, and it was never about the money. Um, it was never about the money. It was more about the adrenaline rush that I got, and um, I owned racehorses, and um, I would, I would, when the, my horses raced, I would shake so bad I could. Uh, Hardly, hardly stand up with the shaking of the adrenaline, and um, it was, it was, uh, and it deteriorated to a point where the more money I earned, the more I gambled. Yeah, and um, it was really, and it was, it was long periods, long periods of sustained gambling with, mixed with drinking. 
Yeah. It's and not a good mix, is it? No, no. And um, the more I um, the gamble, more I gambled, the more I drank, the more I drank, the more I gambled. And it was a way of life, um, very much a way of life. I, I, I didn't take responsibility for my life. I didn't take. I didn't have a family. I didn't. I didn't get married. I'm sorry. I didn't get married. I didn't have children. And. Uh, that interfered with my gambling, any any responsibility, and, and I lost a lot of jobs because I wasn't responsible. I was good at my jobs, but I I was good at my work, and I was a very strong worker. All my family are strong workers, but I as soon as any responsibility was put on me, I said, "No, no, I won't won't be here. I'll be somewhere else where I don't have to have responsibility." And um, that's something that I've learned in the recovery program is that the responsibility that I have today is is wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful to have responsibility today, and I have a I have a lot of responsibility today, and um, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like that you work to to gamble, you to get enough money to gamble. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Especially um, when I came back to Melbourne in nineteen eighty nine. I had um, had a had a major uh, problem with the um, with uh, stealing, and they decided they didn't want to go on with it. And I just went out and gambled more, and um, it was like a release to gamble more. And um, the last six six years or last eight years of my gambling was a nightmare, total nightmare. Um, a lot of it I can't remember. Yeah. A lot of it I can't remember. Um, and uh, I, my accommodation, I was living in a bungalow and at the back of a house and I was going to work and I was going to work and I was gambling. And there was nothing else. There wasn't even... And I'm a great sports lover. Um, there wasn't even sport in my life. I, I'd given away a lot of the sport. Yep. Because it interfered with me gambling. Yeah. So, did your activities bring you in contact with the police? Yep. 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 So, what sort of things happened? Well, um, uh, I I um, it was in Queensland, and um, I uh, broke the law, and they were going to charge me, but the company involved didn't charge me, so I was released from that. And but it was in a lot of ways. It wasn't a good thing because I would have got in, probably got into recovery a lot earlier. Yeah. Um, I look back at it now and say, well, you know, nobody wants to go to jail, but I would have sought help a lot earlier. Yeah, it would have been safer in real terms. Yeah. 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 And the thing was, I didn't. I even even at the end, at the very end of it, I still thought I could gamble. And how much money did you have at that point? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> big, a big naught, Bill. Yeah. A big naught. Yeah. But and I didn't have anything else. But it was, it wasn't about the money. It was about the um, moral principles, the way I was living, yeah. and uh, that was the main thing. The, the thing that I understand today that I, I was living a terrible life, a really terrible life, and 
recovery has shown me that. Recovery has shown me that, and that I can have a better life. And I see people in the program now having a better life because they because they stay in the program and they do their meetings. Yeah. So, do you think it saved your life? Oh yeah, yes, yeah. definitely. I, yeah. I, I was um, dead and gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, as the yellow book says, "Prison, insanity, or death." I was staring him straight in the face. Mm. Okay. Um, so back to you, Alison. Um, so your problem gambling pretty much started in your mid forties when the kids were sort of leaving home and you could relax a bit. Mm. So what was it about? you know, the venues that attracted you initially? I think it was a... It sounds very strange, but I guess it's a safe space. Um, It's very easy to walk into a venue. Everybody's focused on their machine and doing their thing, and and you feel very uh, anonymous, I guess, Uh, in the group. You don't have to interact with anybody. Um... I had a, a, a very good job, um, well, respect, well respected within uh, my industry, and I'd been in the industry for 25 years. And I had a very responsible job. When you're in a venue, no one's asking you for anything. It's very mm. easy just to sit there and zone out, um, turn your phone off, no one's asking anything of you no one's got any expectations at all so you can just sit there yeah um and it's interesting that ian said that he can't remember a lot of it a lot of the time i spent in those venues i can't actually remember you almost have an out-of-body experience it's like it's like you're in a bubble um of your own making and you just sit there and and the time just goes by Mm. um and I wouldn't even, I couldn't even hazard, hazard a guess to how much money I put into those machines because the money was irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't about the money. Yeah. Um, Did you have money problems? No. Yeah. Uh, my husband has a very good job. Uh, I had a very good job. And anyone looking in uh, to our lives would have thought we had the blessed life. We travelled overseas every year. Beautiful home, beautiful car. Anything I wanted, a fantastic husband, um, everything, everything that any person could want. But there was no excitement, I guess. You know, children have all moved out of home. You've lost your purpose. I think for women, they invest so much in their families that they move out and they create their own families. I'm a grandmother, um, love my grandchildren to death. But there's there's a big gap in your life, Um and work can't fill it. Uh, work is just work. It's just a, a, a means of, of yep. getting money, yep. which I actually didn't need. Um, and unlike Ian, um, money was never an issue in our house. I think I was fortunate that my husband controlled the majority of the money. I hate to imagine how much money would have been lost if I had have had access but because I kept it secret from him, it's not like I could take a huge amount of money out of our account without him being aware. So I, that secretive part of it, um, you know, did rein me in a little bit. But on the flip side of that, I think that's why I stole, um, because I couldn't get it any legitimate way yep. without 
without people. exposing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I certainly couldn't have asked to borrow money from my family. That would have been ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> um, they would have looked at me like I'd had two heads. Um, so yeah, and I don't. I never viewed myself as a dishonest person, and I think when you start stealing, at first it was just borrowing. Of course, I was yeah. going to get paid, and I'll yeah. put that money back. back. And, yeah. But then after a while, you don't put it back. It just becomes more gambling money. So, yes, it's a, a very sad place to find yourself. Um, and yeah, I th- the best thing that ever happened to me was getting caught. A bit like Ian. Um, it's like I have to face up to it now. It's mm. there for everybody to see. Yep. So now you have to take responsibility for yourself. Yeah. And I walked into GA and it was a lifesaver. I was lost, mm. completely lost. Um, but a great group. The fellowship, it's all about the fellowship, the, the support that you get within that network of people, good people. Yep. Um, and they are. They're an inspiration. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. Well, listen, we might take another break. Uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, we're talking about the 3CR subscriber drive today. So if you'd like to become a subscriber, you can call us on 94198377 um, or you can go to the uh, 3CR webpage and go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Now for 12-step uh, programs, um, usually at the end of the meeting they pass the basket and support the group. And so with 3CR, we we don't operate that way. So once every year we ask people to either subscribe, become subscribers, or um, during our fundraising in June, we ask you to help donate to help us uh, stay on the air. Um, And so being self-supporting is very important. So if you'd like to keep us on air, that's one way you can do that. Um, It it helps the station know that people like the the show, support the show, and are willing to um, to keep the station going so the show can continue. Um, I'm talking with Ian and Alison, and we're talking about recovery from gambling addiction. and what we're what we're talking about is how how our moral I guess our moral compass changes so that we can justify our behaviour and our gambling. But then once we get into recovery, then it's a different story. You can no longer justify lying and stealing and doing all those things, and so. You, you have to change. You can stop gambling, but there has to be a change in um, in personality such that you can overcome the the addiction. Um, and a lot of a lot of this comes around from having it exposed, as we've mentioned before. Um, that once that once it's out in the open, then you have to take responsibility. And going to gamblers anonymous meetings, you meet people who've done it before. Um, and often in in those meetings, the newcomer is an important member, because, important person, because they're the future of the fellowship in real terms, and it benefits the uh, existing members to help the new member because that's that's what the recovery program is about. It's about 
I guess paying it forward. You're not you're not thanking the people who've helped you. You're thanking the people who've helped you by th- by helping the the new person coming in. So, Ian, do you want to talk about what sort of things happen in a group and how how you support the newcomer? Well, the new member is like you said, Bill. The new member is the most important person in the room when he first comes in. Um, I, I myself was scared stiff. Um, and didn't know what it was all about and probably thought I shouldn't be there. Um, but at my first meeting and in the first uh, period of my recovery, um, I had so much support from older members and people who had been in the program. I had people ring me. I had people who made sure I could get to meetings um, because I didn't at that time I never had a car and they helped me in so many different ways. At the actual meeting, at the actual meeting, we have a, uh, um, a thing where we give to the people. It's a, it's, what is it, Alison? Um, a greeter. Someone yeah, who we, have a gre- we have a greeter yep. who um, greets the person and then we ha- give them the yellow book and all the other things that help them set them down and, and at the actual in the actual meeting we we try and get people to stay with the new member and support the new member. And it's not just at the first meeting, it's in the it's right through. It's uh, and building up a fellowship with those people. And when they struggle, which they do, and when they when they really struggle we we try and make sure that they are all right and we ring them and, and uh, try and help them as much as possible. Um, it's all about 12-step work, really, and it's about, for me personally, it's about giving something back to the program because the program gave me so much. Yeah, basically um, your life. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. given me my life. Yeah. And um, I look at it now as um, a way to show my gratitude for the 12-step recovery program. Mm. And, um, you know, it is a recovery program, and I say this a lot at meetings, that gambling is only mentioned once in the 12 steps, and that's in step one. Yeah. It is a a recovery program. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, talking about recovery, uh, a lot of people have have busts in all the fellowships. Uh, so, Alison, do you want to talk about what what it's like for members coming back who who have busted? What, you know, how do they feel coming back to meetings? Um, interestingly, in our last meeting, we did have um, uh, someone who'd busted and they're very ashamed of themselves and they feel like they've left let the fellowship down um, and they feel really bad. Um, and the thing that is most important is that they've come back. They've come back into the room. They've said that they've busted and no one judges them. It's, you know, some people have said, you know, that they almost need to bust to accept that they can never go back. It's Mm. like the first first drink to an alcoholic. and um, But, you know, to come back takes courage. Um, It takes courage to come back into the rooms um, after you've abstained for a month or two. Um, and then you've disappeared and, you know, you come back and, and face the group and the group becomes like an, an extended family 
And the thing is, we do care when people don't come to meetings. You worry about them. You think, oh, goodness, I hope I hope they're okay. And like Ian said, you know, we take phone numbers and we can offer support all of the time and they need to know that they can come back, bust or no bust. At least they're coming back and they're trying to address their problem. Um, I, I would be too scared yeah. to ever go uh, to a venue ever again um, because I think it, it's too easy. It's it's They're so attractive. And one of the interesting things I found after abstaining was that, that we dream about gambling. Okay, um, yeah. You'd hear the, the, the noises the machines made and all of these things and it's almost like it's trying to suck you back in. It's like subconsciously that you want to go back and so you understand that it's there. It's always the monkey on your back. And if you bust, um, you know how hard it is. You know yourself as a gambling addict how hard it is to abstain. And um, I haven't done much of the, the recovery program as yet. I'm still at the abstaining stage. But I'm trying to, to give back and become more involved um, and I will certainly start the steps, the, only the first step. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interestingly, the first time I ever admitted that I was a gambler was to my arresting officer. Um, he was a very nice fellow, um, but it's the first time I ever said the words out loud, and it was a relief. It was a relief to actually put it out there. And I think it, it's a brave person who busts and has to come back and say that again. Um, it's really difficult, but we just want to see them back. Yeah, and um, it's so used to lying and, manip- and manip- manipulating that to come back and admit something, yep. uh, yeah, it's it must be very cathartic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Ian, um, is Gambler's Anonymous a safe place? Yes, it is a safe place, and it's... Um the other part of it is that gambling has changed over the years and um, the type of uh, gambling now is a lot different to when I came, in it and came into it in 1996. Um, and when I gambled in the early years, there was not the, ga- not the type of gambling and the computers and everything else there is now. And there is a lot of uh, lot younger people and they on their machines and things like that, computers and things like that, and they are safe in GA. They yeah. are safe in GA, and they are able to say how they feel and how they feel about their lives and, and experience the feelings. Feel the feelings is something that uh, we talk about a lot in the program is feeling the feelings. And for my personal my personal story is that I couldn't feel the feelings until I got into the program. And I remember the first time in the meeting that I cried. And uh, that was a huge relief. And I, w- I was in the program 18 months before I cried. Yeah. And, um, and I, I felt safe to cry. And it was at, at the um, Mitchum meeting and I felt... Safe, really safe to be able to cry and say how I felt. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's good. It's good to feel at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I, for a long time I couldn't um, experience any feelings. I was dead in the feeling side, and uh, 
I got it back through the program. Right. Okay. Um, well, oh, the other one I was going to talk to you about was universality of um, Gamblers Anonymous. So is it the same fellowship Australia-wide, worldwide, as in Victoria? <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and uh, some, some states do it a little different, but basically it's Gamblers Anonymous. I had the pleasure through the recovery program to do a meeting in, uh, in the suburb of London, and I can guarantee, apart from the accents and the um, bit hard to understand, it was the same meeting, it was the same Gamblers Anonymous meeting with the same hope and uh, the same fellowship, and it was just marvellous. It was a wonderful thing to do, really. Yeah, yeah. that sounds great. Okay. Uh, righto. Um, well, if anybody's out there and they're interested in finding out more about Gamblers Anonymous, uh, you can find them on 03... Nine six nine six six one zero eight, and you can go on the web at gaustralia.org.au. I think that's about all we've got time for today. Uh, so I'd like to thank Alison and Ian for coming in and sharing their Gamblers Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thanks for volunteering your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Bill. Thanks very much. Um, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week uh, when we'll be talking about recovery from compulsive drinking and we'll be joined by a couple of Alcoholics Anonymous members. Um, stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, uh, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Uh, so thanks for listening to the Living Free Program.